Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from The Next Real Film Podcast. And today we're talking about Minute 81, which begins with Heimdall looking out as Loki approaches and ends with Asgardian and Earth friends striding out to do noble things for the good of all. Uh, my partner's been talking to me a lot about Veggie Tales, and that phrase is stuck in my head now. Uh, <laughs> joining us on the show today, we have Robin Burge from Karate Kid Minute, which I've been reminded is not the Cobra Kai Minute, but Karate Kid Minute, Tra- and Travis Bowe from Real Comic Heroes, Marvel Events Timeline, and Watchmen Minute. Great to have you both on. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'd say so for both of you. It sounds like you both have some experience in the kind of minute-by-minute uh, minute stuff. How, I'm curious for both of you. How'd you go, how, get into that? Robin, go ahead. I started listening to uh, shows like uh, Star Wars Minute and then started seeing the broader universe. And I, of course, got into Marvel Movie Minute uh, and was just kind of inspired. I, 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 I've been podcasting for probably like 14 years on and off here and there. And... Uh, and it just it seemed like a like a challenge like can i do this it's almost like a, run, a, a you know training for a 5k or something <laughs> and uh it, just to be able to sustain like a daily show you know and then you know so i did that with fright night minute and now with karate kid minute i do it three times a week so obviously i felt <laughs> <laughs> what a slacker um, and I have been a fan of Star Wars Minute since that first season, right after they had uh, Doug Benson on their first season. So I've been listening since then and uh, eventually got got the idea in my head to do uh, Watchmen. I, I, for, I had listened to another podcast review Watchmen and I woke up in the middle of the night and, and thought I needed to do Watchmen Minute and started getting that in motion like the next day. and. Uh, uh, Eric Nash uh, from Almost Famous Minute. I think he's been on your show. Like he agreed to be my uh, my co-host, and we did that. You know the di- director's cut of that, and that's now completed. So you know that's at least off off of my uh, schedule. <laughs> but uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I, well, that sounds great, and I'm really looking forward to what you both have to say about Thor. I, I have to just say I understand the idea of also it feeling like a challenge. Um, this is my first time. Uh, I've been a guest before, my first time hosting one of these with with Andy, uh, and I, I've both loved it. It's been a lot more work than I thought it was. And Paul, my best friend and, and most regular co-host, our favorite movie for a long time, or at least the movie we've talked about, has been Desperado. And I did a search, and I found Desperado does not have a minute by minute, <laughs> and I Ooh. kind of really want to do it, and I don't have the time. But then that challenge of like, you know, but it's the one that I need to do. So we will see. We will see if I can uh, hold off on Please that. Please call right? me. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's <laughs> so much to get into there. The music, the fight scenes, the the chandeliers. Such a great movie. Quentin Tarantino's <laughs> god awful acting. Um, <laughs> but anyway, today we're talking about Thor, and we're going to get into all of that right after this. Lots of mayhem this week with the battle with the Destroyer. Uh, If you want to jump in on the conversation with us about all of the juicy stuff going on this week, we would love to have you. We have a growing group of Marvel fans in our Discord community. We'd love to have you be there as well. Just go to truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute and click on the Discord link. It's that easy.
Welcome back. So let's just jump right into this minute. And we start with Heimdall looking like stoic and and powerful. He's holding the sword now, which is interesting because before he'd kind of like, you know, let let go of the sword <laughs> and let our heroes just walk off onto the onto the Bifrost. And, and we see Loki kind of coming towards him out of the darkness, out of the shadow. What what's going on in this shot? Well, I gotta say, what a what a beautiful uh background. I mean, just how many ladies have has Heimdall brought up the bridge to <laughs> just kind of stargaze with? <laughs> I'm hoping it's not just ladies. So, oh yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. It is definitely a like romantic, and just the way he appears as this like stoic, unmoving figure is. I think it's just him, but I all there's a part of me that's like you just love posing <laughs> like that, don't you, dude? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I feel bad that he's so stoic and unmoving. Poor Idris Elba, uh, stuck in this thankless role. I I feel I don't I don't know what you, what you guys think, but I just like God. Yeah, of all the Marvel roles you could have gotten, Idris would be <laughs> Heimdall, the guy that just kind of stands around with the bridge. I'm the gatekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I know you guys have yeah. brought that up a lot on the show. Um, you know, the the Idris Elba being used as Heimdall and I mean, I I love him in this role. Um and I wasn't one of those people that really knew who he was at the time. I think I was starting to hear his name. Um and now of course, you know, he's huge, but I, it it is, you know, it's unfortunate that he can't be really used for someone else in the MCU. Um, but I do love what they did with him in uh, Ragnarok and uh, yeah. Infinity War. So I, I'm so torn on it because he, he has such nobility and gravitas that I feel like it would be hard to get someone else to be in this role. But I also think, Robin, you're right. Like, there's just he has such range. And, you know, I, I am much more of a Marvel person. I love DC stuff. I don't get in the rivalry too much. But when I walked out of the Suicide Squad, I, one of my first thoughts was DC used him better. <laughs> exactly. Better idea. That was like one of my yeah, first yeah. thoughts about seeing the Suicide Squad was like, oh, finally. <laughs> <laughs> so so let's though get into the character that himself, because the last thing we saw was that great scene. And, and Andy and I had a lot of fun talking about it, where he once again does this fake out of like, do you think that I would ever allow you to like, are you going to betray your king? <laughs> yeah. Good. Okay, cool. And, <laughs> and then this wonderful, like, I, I love how legalistic he is of like, you know, you know, it's very much like I could never give you the keys to the car. I'm just leaving yeah. them on the table as I walk out. And, and now he's got the sword back. So is it just that like he let them go and then now he has the sword? Um, And, and I also don't understand where Loki's coming from. What what's what what is happening in this minute? Because I'm I'm kind of lost on that part of it. Well, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I mean, he can see all. You know, presumably he has to be like actually looking at it. It's not just like he's always seeing everything. But I assume like he he knows as soon as he opens uh or he lets them open the Bifrost so that they can go down to Midgard, that I mean, we see Loki seeing that. And so my assumption is that that uh, Heimdall is seeing Loki seeing that. And so he's mm. expecting a visit. I mean, that was kind of my assumption of just, you know, the fact that he's standing there waiting. I mean, he went in, obviously they'd gone, he took his keys out, went back out and just stood there waiting for Loki. My big question is, does Loki walk this whole way? I mean, he walks very casually up. I mean, and it's a pretty long walk from, from Valaskjalf all the way down here to the Himmenbjörg. And I, I mean, he had gone 
from the tower where we saw him first or see what was happening all the way to the vault. And now he's out here. You know, I mean, he didn't ride sleep near out. If he did, we don't see him riding him. But I just wonder, like, is he just like taking a casual stroll or is he actually like tele- teleporting himself at this point? <laughs> I mean, we'll never know. But it just it's just funny because or did he run? But then he sees that Lo- that Heimdall's watching. And so he's like, oh, I got to walk <laughs> casually and coolly because I'm king now. I can't be seen being in a panic. I don't know. These are the things that go through my mind as I see him <laughs> approaching like that. Well, and again, like we're going to go deep on the Google Maps of Asgard here because I, I actually <laughs> thought it was the other direction be- because we've seen this whole like day transferring into night and the starry sky as you go along the Bifrost. He is standing in light and Loki is in darkness where it's more starry. So I thought it was that Loki's like coming back from the Bifrost towards the observatory. Am I did I miss that? Did I get that wrong? Yeah, I mean, he's coming from the palace. Like he, last time we saw him, he was in the vault with the destroyer. And um, and I mean, the only reason that I'm making that assumption really is because Heimdall is standing at the door. And so it would really be on the other side that he'd be coming through. And it would be like that zipping through the Bifrost sort of trip that he'd be taking. Yeah. Are we not seeing one of those airport walking escalators perhaps on this? <laughs> just to kind of yeah. cut down on the travel time. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. He's walking very he's, long. He's moving fast. Very long trip out here. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe like he can cast a spell on himself, so therefore like the ground moves underneath him uh, that quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we do see him teleporting himself uh, eventually. Like he 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 does do that with his magic. So I, I part of me just thinks that he just is zipping around. But again, I mean, I, I at first thought that this that what we're seeing was Loki coming back from dropping the destroyer off on Earth. But then of course we're going to see the destroyer come down to Earth later. So yeah, I don't think. Loki used the Bifrost to get the destroyer there. Right. So I don't think he'd be coming from the Bi- uh the observatory. He's Yeah. That makes sense. And and something you said a minute ago about, you know, Heimdall being suspicious of Loki and I think ever since that, you know, initial discussion they had about, you know, not being able to see what he was up to in Jotunheim um made me think of of actually something from Watchmen where Dr. Manhattan can't see certain parts of the future because of the tachyon interference that Adrian caused. So there's like a blind, there's a blind spot if he looks in a certain, you know, area. And for Heimdall here, I think he sees a a void or when he's looking at Loki's direction, you know, there's something he doesn't see. And that obviously gives him concern and that builds and builds and and with all the other um with what's going on with thor and odin that gives you know heimdall even more concern so well what kind of freedoms do asgardians have from uh heimdall's watchful eye you know do they have any privacy at all is loki entitled to a little privacy That's a good question. Like, yeah, I feel like it's very uncomfortable with a k- character who can see all. Like, he can see a cricket <laughs> fart on Niflheim or whatever was right. cut from the the deleted scene. It's like, I mean, this is a character who can see far too much as far as I'm concerned. I'm the god of mischief. Maybe you don't want to see some of the stuff I'm up to. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. Or like, does he have, does he have to sign some sort of non-disclosure <laughs> agreements? Like what, you know, what's the... 
the gossip columnist in Heimdall can, can, oh can get really out of control. <laughs> um, but of course, he's now put all the pieces together, and there's not even a question. It's just, tell me, Loki, how did you get the Jotuns into Asgard? And then Yoki comes back saying, you know, that you think the Bifrost is the only way in and out. I, I feel like this tension between these two has been building for a long time. And we're just yeah. like earlier we saw a scene between the two of them when they were both like there was so much unsaid that they were clearly saying. And now there's just all the pretense is gone. Well, this is the, you know, he's the punk kid and Heimdall has respect for Odin and he's coming in, throwing his weight around, mm-hmm. you know, now that Odin's taking a nap. Uh, I'm assuming that uh, he doesn't really trust i mean he doesn't trust loki for sure because he can't say what he's doing <laughs> i love this like the way that the tensions played between the two of them like the last time we really saw that confrontation is when loki came back from jotunheim and and they have that kind of confrontation about uh you know i couldn't see you while you were there it, it was like you were shielded for me and that whole thing and uh, but that's where loki really kind of pushes back like you know i'm your king you have to do it i tell you and and I feel like this is one of those um, RoboCop moments where, you know, just what I was thinking, yep. just he was waiting for that command so that he could actually turn and strike at the king. It's like all he needed was that moment. You're fired. Exactly. For, for those who don't have a photogenic me- uh, memory of B-movies from the 1980s, my, my, my memory is that uh, in Robocop, one of his directives is he's not allowed to harm people from the corporation that made him. Mm-hmm. So when someone fires the person we found as their real enemy, he's like, thank you, and just blows the guy away. <laughs> And that's essentially what happens here, because Loki says, you know, you're fired. You're not even a citizen anymore. I mean, he yeah. it's like real, like he really takes it far. He's like, you're re- relieved of your duties and you're no longer a citizen. Like, wow. Okay. You're out. And I love that where Heimdall goes to that, because Heimdall's first reaction then is, well, good. Heimdall strikes me as such an interesting character who is, he wants to obey the letter of the law, even though he is violating the, the spirit of it wildly. And I... I'm curious if any of you know more from the comic books. I kind I I'm not sure. Is it because he like personally won't choose to break the law, the letter of the law, or is it more of the kind like kind of like the Robocop thing, like the, the nature of who he is and the role he plays? He's physically incapable of breaking the actual letter of the law, even though he can bend it as much as possible. Yeah, I don't think he's like programmed like i think he has his i think he has free will Mm -hmm. i just think he has such respect for the position that perhaps he's like well now that you freed me of of this position now i can do it's what my conscience is telling me to do right it's a lot like the uh the dormelage in uh black panther where they respect the title of the king so much or Mm. you know and, and even though they see someone who may not be the best suited, you know, for that role, but they're honor bound to, you know. Right. Yeah, I think it's a good comparison. I And and I wish that I uh, had more experience with Heimdall in the comics. Like, I haven't read enough Thor comics to really get a sense of how far they go exploring the Heimdall character, that would be actually interesting. I, you know, I'd love to kind of dig a little deeper on that to find out, like, is, is that a character where they actually go into more depth with at any point to give us a little more um, sense of who he is? Because I mean, in the initial comics, I mean, he essentially is 
I mean, exactly kind of what he seems just a gatekeeper who stands there in the, I mean, in the comics, it's just on the edge of the rainbow and letting people go by or not go by. And that's really all he did. And um, so I don't know. I, I, I'd love to know if they did kind of expand that more. Yeah. What's his private life like? You know, does he have an apartment <laughs> in the back? Does he, you know, <laughs> is he there all the time? You know? Is this like the lighthouse where he kind of starts going a little crazy, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know? <laughs> it's yeah. like, don't hurt the birds. <laughs> I, I mean, in some ways, it's one of the interesting things we have here because in the mythology, he is just like the figure who stands there all the time. But, in the, yeah. you know, in the same way that like, you know, you read Greek mythology and if Apollo is pulling the chariot of the sun across the sky every day, how does he have time to seduce all the people he seduces? Like it doesn't, <laughs> you know, the, the myths often don't, they're not treating them like real people the way we are in this. And so it's kind of fun seeing how they try to translate that. Um, I, I do think it's great that he then goes straight. It's not a, okay, I don't have to obey you anymore. So I'm going to walk away and figure it out. It's just cool. <laughs> I'm going to attack right now. Um, and I'm not a fight scene. And I want to hear your thoughts on like his move to that. But I also just got to say, and I wonder if anyone else picked up on this. I'm not a fight scene person. I'm not a martial artist. I may be missing things. But he's like, he wants to get a surprise attack in against the god of surprise and mischief. And so what he does is he holds this very heavy sword. He kind of raises it up and pulls it around <laughs> to the left over his head in this big, like, wind up. Like, Loki has time to, like, make a phone call, make a sandwich, and then defend himself. Is this just, like, <laughs> it's the heaviness of the sword that's all he can do? Is he just not really a good fighter? Do they just go for a cool shot, even though it makes no sense for a surprise attack? What What's happening in that moment? Hmm. It's funny that you describe it that way because I, I didn't really think about it that much. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it's obviously he has to get the momentum for the swing to, mm -hmm. to you know, kind of create some impact and stuff. But it does like it does make you wonder. I mean, Heimdall's job is to kind of defend, you know, really kind of who's coming in and, and not. But like he I mean, this is the only time perhaps. I mean, I, I guess he'll wield weapons by the time we get to Ragnarok. Um but largely, he's just standing here, and it does make you wonder if, like, yeah, maybe, maybe Odin needs to bring him out to the to the field a little bit to do some drills and stuff. Because I mean, maybe he's just getting a little slow. I don't know. Maybe he should have stretched first, <laughs> right? <laughs> he may be underestimating Loki too, because he certainly doesn't know that Loki is concealing the uh, the casket of of ancient winters and. Right. Maybe he doesn't expect him – if he didn't have that, he might expect him to be able to block an attack and then he'd be able to then make another move, you know, have a fight with Loki where he would probably be the better fighter. That's fair. Yeah. Well, I mean, clearly, I mean, he does get a swing in, uh, you know, I mean – if Loki wasn't so fast with his magic, I, I think that there would have been a better chance of of him actually hitting. I mean, he his swing, I mean, what you see in his face, I mean, there's – even if he is going a little slow and everything, I mean, he certainly has a lot of strength yeah. and fight in him. Because, I mean, yeah. even as he's freezing, I mean, he gets the sword like within inches mm -hmm. of, of Loki's neck. So, I mean, he still is pushing through it. Yeah. As ridiculous as I thought it looked, although it also looked awesome, um, it just, when you do it minute by minute, uh, you just find these things. It, it, to me, though, the one thing I liked about it was that it kind of – it indicated that he is so driven by these – like one of his commands is obey the king. 
another's commands is defend Asgard. And now it's like, okay, I no longer have to obey this command. I now have to obey this other command at the first possible moment, you know? So there isn't a like, cool, I don't have to obey you. Let me pick up my sword. Let me catch my breath. Let me maybe plan. It's just like, all right, directive one's over. On to directive two, take action, no pause. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, and uh, again, this is... uh, (laughs) I have to think about poor Idris. It's like finally an action scene and done. (laughs) (laughs) And frozen. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You get to stand there for a long time. With a great eye. His eye looks great through the eyes. (laughs) Yeah, that was the other thing. I'd love to see more of a of a shock that of Heimdall discovering that Loki is he's a frost giant, right? Like that's that's Mm. I'm not sure why he's not big as big as the other ones, but is he a runt? He's just a runt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, yeah, yeah. We've talked about that a lot. It's like, yeah, they say he's a runt in what if he should have been smaller than, you know, in the comics, he was of... given up because he was small. Oh, so. yeah. Right. Interesting. That's yeah. But good. those contacts that, uh, uh, Idris is wearing aren't doing much for his able uh, ability to kind of express more too that in that giant helmet you know so there's no indication of i mean i think that's why they do that close-up on the eye to show some sort of shock like wasn't uh, or utter surprise that this just happened yeah yeah and it, it should be such a good shot because it's he's the watcher he sees everything and if you were and he i mean he acts wonderfully with his eyes he also has gorgeous brown eyes so it's like yeah. a crime on many <laughs> levels here and i feel like if the shot had been that his eye is watching and look and like moving and that's the last thing that gets frozen like that's so effective instead we just get this utter nothing of like a green co- a golden contact lens that is looking through the ice like yeah maybe they should have saved his head for the last thing to be frozen so he could still be yelling or screaming or emoting and yeah um and and speaking of that like what do you guys think of the icing over effect i i kind of feel like it's one of those effects that has never really been done great and even here like this is to me uh uh, Batman and and Robin level like freezing over people, um, like it's it's I don't know that you can really do much better. You know, it's it's fine, but I don't know that it's great. And as a, as a as a power as an effect, like I don't know. What do you guys think of the elemental effects that we're going to be talking about this week? We've got ice, we've got fire, we've got clouds and swirly smoke. This is probably my favorite. You know, I think that this one, I can buy it more than those other ones. Like this one, you know, when we go into like the eye, the close up of the eye, I mean, I, I think that it effectively looks like an eye, mm-hmm. uh, you know, behind a, a sheet of ice. And when we see him standing there and all the ice is kind of coming off of his back, like I think I think there are moments where I can I can buy into it a little more than others. Like I think when. Um, when the casket, when Loki makes the casket appear and then like does the ice spray blast, like that's where I have the harder time, you know, buying into kind of the realities of it. But again, even there, I'm okay with this more than I am like when we see, uh, some of these other effects we'll be talking about here shortly. Yeah. The ice just kind of, I just watched it again. It just kind of layers over him bit by bit. And, uh, I I mean, it's effective, I think. 
it's not my favorite shot. I, I like you, Travis. I've never been a big fan of that. I also just I I don't quite get the science of you can be frozen and then unfrozen yeah. and you're fine. You just need a warm bath. Um, but even putting that aside, the, the one thing I did notice, especially because I've been you know going back and forth with the scenes after it, is I do think there's a great contrast that I think is very equivalent, very uh, intentional of the way that ice blast looks coming from the casket and the way the fire blast looks coming from the destroyer, you know, and that those being the polar opposites of fire and ice. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not my favorite shot in the movie. That's for sure. Well, I certainly like the ice better than in this particular case, Loki's turning mm. blue. Like when he turns to look like the frost giant here, as he's holding the casket, I, I just, I don't find the transformation as effective as I did in the vault. And his eyes, like the red of his eyes, they look just so much more like they just painted them in with CG. It looks to me like someone was fan casting General Thrawn yes. and painted Tom Hiddleston blue and gave yeah. him some red eyes. And right. when we all yeah. know it should be played by Mickelston, that's Middleston, that's no argument there. <laughs> um, well, and so how, where does the casket come from? Like it, does he just have kind of a magical bag of holding that he's pulling things out of? Is he teleporting them to him? What's, cause it's the power we see him use a lot, even up to the infinity stone in, uh, infinity war. What, what's happening in this moment? I think it's literally a pocket dimension. So Loki has lots of these pockets mm. <laughs> that he's able to pull it from. Uh, and I don't know, maybe he just has a, he can just think of which pocket dimension he wants to pull things from. Does he create them himself? Does I, I'm not sure. But do you think that he actually put it there? Because I was like, I wonder if he conjured it from the vault and like just brought it up. But I mean, he was just in the vault next to it as he released the destroyer. So maybe, I mean, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe he puts it, may, I assume maybe it's more accessible than in like a little pocket dimension that he drops it in. But yeah, it's, it's I'm not really sure. Frigga taught him well, you know, she's she's a witch and she taught him all of his like magic, you know, all these skills and the sleight of hand and, and all that stuff. And and yeah, I, th I, th I think he I like the idea that he conjured it from the vault, but I had always assumed that he just has, you know, wherever he goes, he has a magic <laughs> uh, bag of holding that kind of stays yeah. with him. You know, he'll use it with, I mean, his his costume and armor his the staff that he shows up in avengers with he changes the size of it countless and, knives yeah a lot <laughs> of knives well and that's yeah that's interesting because yeah. i was thinking if if it's in the vault and i was trying to think okay so what's the what's the most distant thing we've seen loki kind of conjure up if it if it was from another place and I, gosh, I can't think of what else he's conjuring and how far he's actually conjuring them. But it does make me think that it probably makes more sense that he does have like a little pocket dimension sort of thing where he's able to kind of put things into mm -hmm. so that they're accessible right away. Because I, I and maybe it's a, you know, my own head, but I think like if there's a distance thing, it might be harder for him to reach it if it's too far away. But again, I'm guessing game. I like the idea that every knife that he throws <laughs> is from the uh, Asgardian armory that he's just conjuring, you know, every single blade. They keep going down. Who's taking all these knives? He shots at the Asgardian guards. Just going, huh? What was that? <laughs> yeah, and certainly I, I, I watched his hand motion and then checked that the motion he does with his hands is very similar to what he does in Infinity War when he summons the, um, hmm. the, the Infinity Stone to give to Thanos. Yeah. So, yeah, at least they're being consistent with that. 
Uh, anything more we want to say about that before we get to, uh, we have obviously a lot to say there, but uh, we have a little bit going on in New Mexico as well. I, I just had one last thing to say, and it's the same thing that Odin did uh, when Odin was up on top of the uh, the dais inside uh, Heimdall's observatory. But like, it must be a thing with Gungnir where these kings just stab it into the ground wherever they feel like, because Odin, you know, he, he stuck his staff in the top there and just walked away from it, but it was standing upright. And here, as Odin or as as Loki, um, let he lets go of it so that he can conjure up the casket. And again, the staff just stands there. So either Gungnir has some sort of enchantment where you know when the king releases it, it will stay upright. Which I mean, who knows? It could. Or they just they're stabbing holes everywhere they go. Which, <laughs> knowing the Asgardian royalty, I also don't put it past them. <laughs> These people do not fix their divots when they play golf, you know, like they're just <laughs> it's all over the place. No, <laughs> I was also noticing here in this minute, like um, just looking at the Bifrost for more than I really ever have and noticing how like there's a, there's a design aspect to it that I'm not sure I love, but I don't necessarily hate. And it's that it's it looks like this thick plastic um butcher block kind of you know where it's just it's not one solid piece it made made up of many you know um pieces but then underneath that you have all this uh flowing energy that obviously that's where you get the the rainbow uh the full spectrum of color coming from but uh, a certain aspect of that reminds me of like the the clear electronic fad that was like big in the late 90s and um early 2000s where everything you know <laughs> your walkmans were all like clear with uh, all the electronics underneath and it's it's a little, little aspect of the bifrost that i i i thought of in that way this time and now i don't know yeah i i i don't know i i'm a fan of it i love the look of it i thought they came up with a really interesting way to kind of depict the rainbow bridge so we didn't have to have just a magical <laughs> rainbow that they're all standing yeah. on i i was like you know it's actually yeah. kind of clever and i love that lighting design inside it it is like when and like at that same era i feel like there were dance clubs that did the same thing where they had like that plexiglass dance floors with, with all the lights underneath oh, that yeah. were dancing or flashing around as you were dancing on it so it was the same thing it was like very the style that was in for a while it's kind of funny yeah so, so let's cut back to New Mexico, and we have um, Coulson kneeling by the circle that we we saw and we talked about last time. Last week was left by the Sif and the Warriors Three arriving. And as I'm watching this, I realized something. I did Shield ever find the circle where Thor arrived that started everything that with Jane and Eric finding that? Because I'm starting to think that they they may never have found that. Is that is that your all understanding? Yeah, it may have blown away by the time anyone because. They would have been concentrating on Mjolnir, and as we saw the Jane and, and crew drive away after picking up Thor, right? You know, then you see Mjolnir, you know, it, the comet kind of landing, and it looked uh, a good distance away. So yeah, they may have never yeah. been in this particular in that particular area for where Thor arrived. Well, it makes me wonder what it is, you know, because because I, I feel like I mean, as memory serves, when Jane 
at the time of that atmospheric disturbance, which <laughs> thus far has been the most dramatic atmospheric disturbance anytime the Bifrost <laughs> has brought anybody down here on Earth. I mean, that was an intense, intense, uh, like tornado practically. Uh, but they were like quick before, uh, before it gets, uh, blown away. And, right. and so, yeah, it does make me think that it's almost like a compression or something in the Earth itself that, mm -hmm. that, uh, can mm -hmm. get blown away. Like it's not, it's not like a perma mark or anything. Yeah, like the force kind of uh, the force of the uh, the Bifrost, like it, it impacted the sand or the ground or whatever. And then, yeah, it's it's a crop circle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe they were what? all Bifrost landings. Maybe that's what it was. Mm. And so here we do see again how how intelligent i think and how much colson's noticing thing because the first thing he asks is for he wants someone like an, a linguistics expert uh i guess that is that because he's seeing like the runes and he's understanding that this is probably some kind of runic language or something like that i think so it looks like symbols looks like yeah um i'm i'm curious does did shield bring a, lingu a linguistics person are they in new mexico are they at the mjolnir crater waiting are they on a helicarrier 300 miles away like what does that entail when he says get someone from linguistics down here yeah that's an interesting question because it does make you wonder um like is it is it are there a bunch of them like do they have linguistic experts like as always somebody who goes out on the team there's always going to be a linguistics expert who's one of them um or is it like one specific person who they have to now fly in but that's a good question yeah and and just looking at uh, the impression here that I, I don't, it, it looks like a fun maze to solve, but I'm not, I, I, that was my question. I was like, what, what is the linguistics person going to get from this? It looks like a fingerprint. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. That, that's funny because yeah, when he says linguistics expert, I'm like, well, I don't, I don't see it as a, as so much like, like this, these are a language. It's not like the Aztec calendar where you can kind of read around the edges or anything. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that that's an interesting uh, thing. Like, what is it about about it that that makes him think linguistics? Maybe he means more like a symbologist. That, yeah, you know, yeah. Like maybe they're they're symbols or I don't know. Yeah, runic linguistic. I, yeah. And I think runes is considered something a linguist would study. But yeah, it's a little different. Well, yeah, because it has kind of like that Celtic pattern feel right. to it. Yeah, yeah. And certainly to me, what it also kind of emphasizes is it. I don't think that he has a specific, like, this will teach us this thing. It's that the kind of scientific aspect of, of S.H.I.E.L.D. at least is you follow every possible lead as far as you can. You know, there's never a, right. this may not lead somewhere, so let's not bother. Yeah, right, right. Um, and as so we get a kind of fun shot where we see that there's the two techs all in white. Everyone else is basically a man in black. All the cars are black. I mean, it's very, like, secret government agent tropes. Um and, and then we see that great scene of the storm still swirling. I, I was trying to figure out what was happening there because we didn't see that sort of after Thor arrived. Is that because Heimdall's now off the job? Is that because someone else is coming? Um, <laughs> we may get an answer to that later in the week. Um, but just kind of curious, like, what's your thought in this moment? Yeah, I just think there's something coming. There's something coming, and they have to be prepared for it. Yeah. We had, there is actually a great shot yeah. that I think should be in Phil Coulson's, like, rap video, which is, like, shooting from underneath him as he looks up. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> the crotch eye view. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting shot that they chose to go with there. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's <laughs> laying on the yeah. ground, staring up at his crotch as he looks yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. Um, And then, of course, we get, you know, uh, 
all of the people, now that they're all together, the Warriors 3, Sif, and our Earth heroes, the Earthlings 3, um, all coming out to sort of stare up. Well, we don't even know that they're going to stare up, but they, they're all just kind of marching out with determination. Uh, and then our minute ends. So uh, a lot there to talk about next time. But um, before we kind of wrap up, any, any last comments or questions that you all wanted to ask about this minute? I, You know, there just a, a couple last things. Um, well, just to the point we were just talking about as far as effects, the swirling cloud effect here, this is one of those things that I think I feel is a lot worse looking than the ice. Like as we watch this thing swirling around, I'm like, eh, yeah, yeah, 2010, 2011 effects. It's like, eh, OK, I'll I'll buy it, I guess. But it's not my favorite. Uh, just the only comment really from this minute that I have, it's, it's just it's just that it's just a comment that they really just dropped the whole Loki as a frost giant aspect of the character yeah. after this. They never really took that anywhere. They they certainly do in the comics. Like at, at, at there's there's a point where he's like king of Jotunheim. And oh, yeah. That would have been an interesting thing. I mean, it's still, well, I guess it can't now, but um, I mean, maybe on the TV show, but who knows what they could do with it. But um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they did more with that at any point. Yeah. I, I remember when I watched the Loki TV show, that was something I was thinking about was that, as he's going through all of this incredible, like, who am I? What am I? You know, self-exploration. He's keeping his spell up. You know, the idea of shifting back into his natural form, so to speak, uh, Frost Giant is just never, never explored, which is uh, disappointing. Um, but, you know, we're going to get season two. So who knows? Uh, all right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up. So for, for Travis and Robin, both of you, um, fans who are hearing you for the first time, want to know more about where they can find you. Um, what, what's, the, what's the first thing they should check out? Uh, Travis, for you. Uh, check out Real Comic Heroes. It's my longer running podcast where we review comic book movies in release order. Uh, definitely worth checking out. And for yourself, Robin? Yeah, uh, I, I'm i one of the hosts of uh, Karate Kid Minute. So that's the most current podcast that I'm on uh, in which I uh, talk about the Karate Kid uh, franchise, depending on the movie, uh, how many minutes at a time. The first movie, we talked one minute at a time. Second movie, two minutes at a time. And so on. But yeah. And you get your Cobra Kai there too. So. Okay. There you go. There you go. Definitely worth checking out. Well, thank you both for being on. Uh, and as always, thank you so much for everything you do to make this show happen. And to all of our listeners, uh, you're why we do this. Let us know what you think. And for listening and checking this out, thank you so much. Have a great day. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. 